Good morning, West Bowles. Uh, my name is Brian Burns, and it is my privilege to be able to be here with you this morning and give Nathan a much-deserved uh, week off, which is just a gracious way of saying that you're stuck with me this morning. But um, before we get started, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to get together. Uh, we just pray you open our hearts, our, our ears. Uh, speak through me, Lord. Help me to get out of the way, and that your message will be heard. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you guys all remember that commercial that just ran there? It was from the Super Bowl. I thought it was a couple years ago, but it was like 2012, if you can believe it. But it was back then that that was uh, easily voted one of the best commercials of the entire year. And it's easy to see why. It's hard not to watch that without smiling or laughing because you see this little boy that's trying to use the force to, to move things and to start the car. But we know that that attitude or that belief is not held just by kids. As a matter of fact, we all know those super fans that every week when their game is on, they have to wear that lucky jersey. And they have to sit in the same spot in their family room. And they have to eat the same thing. And they have to watch it with the same people. And if their team doesn't do well, well, it must be because someone washed their lucky jersey with some sort of new detergent, or they used a new brand of chicken wings, or they uh, invited that unlucky person into their household. And we look at those people and we laugh and we think, how could you possibly think that what you're wearing has an impact or is controlling the football game? And we laugh at the commercial and think, how could you think that you are able to control a car starting with your hand? But in reality, we all do this. This happens to all of us. We get caught up with this desire to control the things going on around us. And so we grasp at them and try to do it. And some of the things that we think we can control, it's just as silly as trying to start a car with our hands. And yet, we do it. And we can become so consumed with this desire to control that it distracts us from keeping our eyes on God. It can absolutely become a distraction. So today, we're going to look at three ways, three steps really, on how we can try to get control over wanting control and the squirrel of control in our lives. And we're going to be going through Romans 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But we'll have it up on the screen as well. But as we read through Romans 8, it doesn't take long before we see the very first step that we need to take if we want to handle this issue of control. In verses uh, 20 through 21, it tells us here, before I read it, it tells us that first step, which is accepting that we don't always have control of our circumstances. We don't always have control, and we have to accept that. In Romans 8, verse, uh, starting in verse 20, it says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. I'm the youngest of four kids, and so it was pounded in an, into me at an early age that I didn't have control. 
As a matter of fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you a quick story about your new church manager, or whatever his title is, my brother, John Burns. Now, John is my oldest sibling, and so, therefore, he had major issues trying to control the rest of us. And I remember that uh, when we were kids, that John and my brother Tom and I had our room in the basement. It was just an unfinished basement. So we had our three beds down in the basement. Somehow my sister got to have a real room upstairs, but the three of us were in the basement. And John had a bedtime routine for all of us. At night, John would read the devotional from Our Daily Bread, the same one that we hand out here this morning. He would read a, a devotional. And if I stopped right there, you would probably say, oh, how sweet. We've got, you know, these three boys doing devotionals in the basement, which is kind of true. But John was the only one that got to read the devotional. We never got to. He would read it. And when he was done with the devotional, he had a phrase that he would say every night. And when John would say this phrase, it meant it was time for bed. There would be no more talking. There would be no more moving. There would be no more laughing. Our night was over once this phrase was uttered. And so John would get up after reading Our Daily Bread. He'd go over to the light switch, and he would wait till he got eye contact with us. So my brother Tom and I would finally give him eye contact. And once he had it, he would look at us and say, Good night. See you in the morning. Click. Turn off the light. And then he'd go lay down in his bed. And if Tom or I uttered a word or if we made a noise, or something happened, John would get furious, and he'd get out of bed, and he'd storm over the light and turn it back on. He's like, now, guys, I told you, now shut up. He's like, let's try this again. Good night. See you in the morning. Click. Go back and lay down. And if this wasn't bad enough, when John was gone, he would record himself. I'm not kidding. He would record himself reading the devotional, and of course, he would say the goodnight charge. And Tom and I, like good soldiers, when we would hear him say goodnight, see you in the morning, we would turn off the light and shut up and not say another word. We'd go to bed. I, it, that phrase, goodnight, see you in the morning, it became like the ultimate conclusion. If we ever wanted to end a conversation or an argument or we wanted to leave somewhere, Tom or I would just say goodnight, see you in the morning, and that would be it. I told Nathan, he doesn't need to work so hard on conclusions. He should just say goodnight, see you in the morning. It'd be over. You guys all know to leave. That's how powerful that phrase was. I actually told this story to my daughter just two weeks ago. She's 16 years old. And she said, you know, Uncle John is weird. He, she said, but it's more disturbing that the two of you obeyed him. And I was like, <laughs> I guess you're right. That's true. But I remember laying in my bed in that dark basement just frustrated because I wanted to talk. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I'm guessing that all of you here today and all of you online, you can relate with that. Don't you feel like we've been subjected to frustration recently? I mean, think about it. Over the past few months, we've been told that we can't go to restaurants. We've been told that we have to wear masks, which you all look great here this morning. We've been told we have, to, we have to stay six feet apart. We've been told we can't go to concerts. We can't go to sporting events. We can't go to our kids' graduations. We can't go to church. We've had uh, the rules come down where we can't go see loved ones in nursing homes. A lot of people have lost their jobs. They've been told that you no longer have a job. Some have lost loved ones. 
and haven't even been able to spend those last few hours with them. With all these rules and all this control being placed down upon us, it's natural that we'd be grasping for ways to get control over our lives. And with all this control and all these rules, it brings on an enormous amount of anxiety for people and worry. And then we turn to Scripture and we see Jesus' words. In Matthew 6, verse 25, he says, That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear or that you have to wear a mask or stay six feet apart. Okay, it doesn't say that in there. But isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Jesus is telling us you don't have control. So don't worry about it. And I imagine all of you have heard this scripture a number of times. And I think it's safe to say that we all agree with what Jesus is saying. And that's just the point. It's much easier to admit that we don't have control, to say the words, but it's much more difficult to accept it, to move it from here to here. Do you hear the difference there? Admitting it, we're still trying to grasp for control. But when we accept it, we know that we can't. But if we want to stop the squirrel of control, the first thing we have to do is admit that we don't always have it. And once we're able to do that, we can move to the next step that we see in Scripture. And that's believing that God is in control of all circumstances, not just ours. He's in control of all circumstances all the time. In verse 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Have you guys ever heard of the Heidi game? It was an NFL game uh, played back on November 17th, 1968. And it's important to note before we get started on that story is that back in those days, we didn't have near the, they didn't have near the number of the channels that we have today. And of course, they didn't have smartphones, and they didn't have internet. And so people relied heavily on getting all their news and all their sports and all their entertainment on three channels, ABC, CBS, and NBC. And this game just so happened to be broadcast on NBC. It was like the game of the week. And it featured the, uh, two of the best teams in the entire league at that time, the New York Jets and the Oakland Raiders. And the game itself ended up going longer than had been anticipated because there was penalties, uh, and it was a back-and-forth game. With two minutes left, there had been eight lead changes in this game. So that just gives you an idea. It was just back and forth. It was a great game. And the New York Jets uh, kicked off. Or I'm sorry, the New York Jets kicked a field goal, and they went up 32-29, to 29, and then they kicked off. And the Oakland Raiders got the ball, and this is what happened.
Yep. NBC cut to the scheduled programming for that evening, which was a made-for-TV movie called Heidi. It was a feel-good story about a little girl and her grandfather in the Alps. Well, as you can imagine, thousands and thousands of people called NBC. As a matter of fact, so many calls came in at one time that 23 fuses were blown on the NBC switchboard. And with all these calls coming in, of course, what happened? All the lines were busy. And so the NBC executives, who were made aware of the problem, that wanted to get the game back on, they couldn't get through to the one person that had the control to change back to the game. So, Heidi remained. And outside of that stadium that night, nobody got to see the Oakland Raiders come back and score twice in nine seconds and win the game. Now, you see thousands and thousands of people that were watching that game they knew that they didn't have control over that circumstance. They knew they couldn't do anything. There's three channels. They couldn't force their TV to show what they wanted to show. They accepted the fact that they didn't have control. However, they did believe that somebody had control. And so they went to the source. They made their voices heard. They called the NBC switchboard. See, many people can get to the point of accepting that they don't have control. Many of us can get there, but they struggle with believing that God is in control, that God always has control. And I get it, don't you? We've been told since we were little kids over and over again by the world that there is no higher power in control. And if we are told that there is a God, then what we're told is that he's too busy for our petty problems. And so, we don't go to the source. We don't make our voices heard. We don't lift our prayers, our burdens to the God that is in control of everything. And it goes to Jesus' point about not worrying. See, if we just accept that we're not in control, but we don't believe that there's a God that is in control, that we can go to, that can hear us, then it doesn't bring anything other than worry. We don't get out of that cycle of trying to grasp for some control. And that's where a lot of people are. They can't stop worrying. But in order for us to believe that God is in control, we've got to believe that he is strong enough and powerful enough to handle all our problems and that he really is in control. It reminds me of the uh, song they sing in Awanas. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And if you know that song, I know you want to do the motions. First, last service, Char was here, and I could see her doing it over there. But it's this song... That, that they sing over and over again, and it's a catchy song, but you know what? It's absolutely true. And we're reminded about it in Scripture over and over again. You can look about anywhere and see it. I picked three verses I'm going to share with you real quick. It's Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Psalms 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. 
There's Job 42.2, and it's important to note that Job, this is after he has uh, had some of the biggest trials and tribulations ever bestowed on a man before. And this is what he writes in Job 42.2. It says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours could be thwarted. And I could go on and on. There's literally hundreds and hundreds of verses in the Bibles that, that make it very clear that God is always in control. That God is in control of all circumstances. And the reason I wanted to point out that uh, the verse on Job is, please don't misunderstand me. Just because God is in control, it doesn't mean that it's always going to turn out the way we want it to. It doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer and that we're not going to have trials and tribulations. As a matter of fact, as Christ followers, we're assured in Scripture that we will have struggles and that we will have suffering and pain while we live on this earth. And Paul speaks to that in verse 18 of Romans 8. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And if you know Paul's story, he had a lot of suffering. He dealt with a lot of trials. And to come to that kind of conclusion, it's more than just accepting you're not in control, and it's more than just believing that God is in control. It's believing that God loves us no matter the circumstance. God loves us unconditionally, no matter the circumstance. Uh, Paul goes on with some of my favorite scripture in all the Bible that speaks to this. In verse 37, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, even if you accept that you don't have control, and even if you believe that God is in control, if you don't believe he loves you, if you don't believe he cares for you, it's all for nothing. We're still going to be grasping at ways to try to get control over our lives because we don't trust that someone out there loves us. The one that does have control loves us. And that's why it's so important that we hear Paul's words. He says, not only does God love you, but there is no circumstance, nothing, not COVID, not pain, not suffering, not cancer, not the struggles, not even death. No matter what you're going through, nothing can separate us from that love. And that's an important thing to hear. And if we understand and we believe that, then something amazing happens inside of us. Back in 1963, there was a nuclear submarine called the USS Thresher. And this submarine was built a little differently than others. It was built with the heaviest gauge steel ever put on a submarine before. And the purpose of it, it was then to be able to dive deeper into the ocean and withstand the pressure. And so on its initial voyage, it's actually a test run for it. It went into the water and the engine failed. 
and it couldn't make its, its way back up to the surface. And so it began to sink lower and lower. And at some point, that big, heavy-duty steel bulkhead, it buckled, and it continued to sink. And the Navy had to bring in this special research vessel that could hold a couple people. It was like a big steel ball that could hold a couple people. And it was attached to a cable, and they lowered it down into the ocean in search of this submarine. And they searched, and they searched, and they finally found it at a depth of 8,400 feet. That's where it rested. The submarine had been crushed like an empty pop can that someone had stepped on. And the rescuers noted, as they looked at this heavy gauge steel crumpled up like an accordion, like it was a piece of paper, they saw a fish swimming around it without a care in the world. The fish was not coated in steel. As a matter of fact, the rescuers said that the skin of that fish was almost translucent. It was just a fraction of an inch thick. And yet, the pressure didn't affect it. It was the fish's composition. It was what was inside of it that made it able to withstand the pressure, that made it able to endure the pressure of the ocean. You see, there's something that's really cool that happens to us when we can grasp the fact that God loves us unconditionally. We move from believing that God is in control to wanting him in control. We want him as the center of our lives. We want him inside of us. And when he's inside of us, we, much like that fish, can endure the circumstances of this world, no matter how crushing they may be, no matter how much pressure they may try to apply. You know people, I know people in this congregation that have suffered some of the worst tragedies I could ever imagine. Can't even imagine going through what they went through. And yet they continue to want God in control of their lives. And they walk around with a lightness that can't be explained scientifically. Just like that fish a mile and a half below the surface. And you hear their story. And you see them and you think, how in the world didn't that crush you? How do you have your faith? How, you've got to be so strong. You must be so strong. And I'm going to tell you a secret that they would tell you. It isn't their strength. It's not the steel that they surrounded themselves with. It's the strength of him who's inside of them. And he can withstand the pressure. The pressure doesn't affect him. That's where their strength comes from. And it comes from a wholehearted belief that God loves them unconditionally, no matter the circumstance. Oh, the squirrel of wanting to control our lives, it's real. And it affects all of us. It strives to distract us. But if we can accept that we aren't always in control, and if we can believe that our God is so big 
so strong and so mighty that he is always in control and that that mighty God loves us unconditionally no matter what the circumstances may be, well then, we'll be able to keep our eyes and our hearts focused on him. And with that, I say, good night. See you in the morning. Actually, I'll call the worship team back up one more time here, and uh, I'll pray, and then they can close us off today. So, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being our God, for being so much stronger, so much bigger than the circumstances we face. We're grateful that we don't have to try to control these things. We just pray that you help us to accept that. We pray that we can believe that you are in control. And most importantly, we pray we believe with all our hearts that you love us. You've done everything you can on your part. You couldn't do more than giving your son, giving yourself to prove your love for us. Help us to realize that, to believe it, and we know that we'll be able to survive whatever circumstances come our way. We're so thankful for you. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.